All right, good morning. I tell you, for those of you who were at our School of Intercession and you're still here today, you are a glutton for punishment. <clears throat> you need ministry. And so um, come see one of these guys after the service. All right. Love coming to Sterling for all kinds of different reasons. One, you have donuts here. And uh, that's just, that, that alone is a reason to love a church. It serves donuts not only before, but after the meeting. All right. So thank you for that. Um, and, and something about, uh, you know, my son-in-law being the pastor here, that's got a little something to do with it as well. Uh, pastor Eddie sends his regards this morning. He has, unfortunately, the flu is whooping him today um, as, as Ethan. And so just, we encourage you to be praying for them. Amen. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. You know, as we came into 2020, not only did we start a new year, we started a new decade. And I don't remember stepping into a decade as an adult quite as turbulent as this one. I mean, we came into the new year with the fear of the coronavirus. Now they're saying in the last 48 hours or so that the outbreak of this virus is really more significant than the SARS virus of, you know, quite a few years ago, those of you that remember that. And when we stepped in the middle of all the, the geopolitical rumblings going on in our own nation, what was happening on Capitol Hill and, and then Brexit, uh, not, a, not a, a, an insignificant moment uh, in the history of nations. And this is all just in the past really 30 to 45 days. Ecclesiastically, one of the major denominations is headed in two directions because of doctrinal and cultural differences of how to navigate a very divisive issue. They've been counseled that now what is one denomination will become two. Personally, I cannot begin to recount the number of personal testimonies that have come back of folks that found themselves in unusual difficulties, be it struggling physically with certain things or financially. One of the young, young women that my wife and I disciple, we got a text just a few, few days after the first of the year that, well, here's the new year. I got pink slip for my job. This is how her year started. And maybe many of you are sitting there this morning and saying, well, you just sort of read out my first five or six weeks. It's a very turbulent time. And yet we find this passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes 11, which I believe perfectly describes the moment, beginning in verse 4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you. To come do that which only you can do. And not just bring 
information and revelation, but God truly and impartation and transformation by your spirit. God, let us not just hear something today and say, well, that was interesting. But Holy Spirit, we invite you to empower us now to hear well. But we implore you to come and enable us to respond even better. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you in this moment. Help us. Amen. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, or whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. What is the writer saying here is saying, if you consider the natural phenomena around your life, there's never going to be the right moment. And I believe accordingly, God is wanting to bring many of us into an out-of-sync out-of-season anointing. Now, I love doing things in season. I mean, I love when it's supposed to be warm. You got the right clothes in the closet. When it's cold, it's cold. But then you get these days and it's just like, wait a minute, it's wintertime and it's 70 degrees outside. And it's, 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 it's a bit disorienting, if you wish. And we don't like it much. And yet, how many of you know that many times it's those very moments of being out of sync, out of season, that God says, now watch me do this. Watch me be God. Why? Because God always moves in spite of, not because of. As a matter of fact, he specializes in these particular moments. And I believe that in this out-of-sync, out-of-season moment that many of us are finding ourselves in, I believe there are unusual opportunities that God is going to present to you and to me. I've entitled this message, Out is the New In. And I want to talk about this in three sections this morning. The first, I want to talk specifically about seasons. Because I believe that natural seasons are going to be suspended, <clears throat> excuse me, and superseded by spiritual season. Daniel chapter 2, and you know this passage, it says that he changes times and seasons. First Chronicles 12 talks about a unique group of men that Understood. It says the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We find Jesus rebuking those around him. It says you, you, you can study the weather and you know exactly what's going to happen, but you have no discernment at all of the times. And there is an Issachar anointing that I believe God wants to release to the church in this moment. To know exactly what to do, how to do it. What to say, what not to say. And that understanding has to be one that is based on a spiritual, not a natural understanding. I believe in this moment we're going to find things around us beginning to contract and escalate. You know, I'm, 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 as the older I get, the slower I want to move. 
I mean, you know, part of it is you get up and it's just like, you don't want to fall. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I find my wife and I now, if there's a step, you know, we're, we're reaching out for one another. You know, you used to do it when you had kids at home, right? And then you stop doing it for a while and then you begin to realize, yeah, but you know, recovery is a lot longer than it used to be. And so everything is, I, I, I kind of want things to slow down. Come on, old folk. Do you ever feel that way sometime? I want to I drive slower. And Pastor Duke, my dear friend who's here this morning, he says, if you drive any slower, you'll be stopped. <laughs> Just don't even bother to crank it. Just stay in the driveway. Some friends of mine who are in industry are talking about this new technological rollout of 5G. I'm sure you've heard of that. If you don't, you will because you're going to get to buy a new telephone sometime in the next couple of years. Everybody smile and get your thousand bucks ready. <laughs> but they're saying that 5G is going to be the technological shift. It's going to be the big one. Quote, the big one. Sort of the Gutenberg of broadband speed. Things that the internet of things. Surgeons sitting over in India somewhere, they're going to be able to do surgery here in Virginia with no latency. All of the issues that have challenged technology are getting ready to just go away. But I believe even as there's an escalation of technology, speed if you wish, I believe the same thing is happening in the spirit. Things are speeding up around us. And I think there's a sense we all know that. But some of us are doing all that we can, it seems like, maybe emotionally, to kind of tap the brakes on it just a little bit. Forbes article that came out in the past few days, or few weeks rather, said our world is going to change more in the next 20 years than in the past 300. And adds this little phrase, and it could be heaven or it could be hell. And I believe that in this speeding up of things, we're going to see a greater rate of God's conception, God birthing things, God depositing things in men and women and churches. We're going to see a rate of church growth that I think that we've only dreamed about in this coming decade. And in that conception, there's going to come a contraction of gestation as well. Things that have taken months are going to take weeks now. In a human being, 40 weeks is considered a normal delivery. I'm going to submit to you that I believe that what we have deemed normal is going to become almost abnormal. God's going to speed some things up. And I believe it's a moment that God's going to open wombs in a unique way. Both natural wombs and spiritual wombs as well. Amos 9 describes it this way. The days are coming when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading the grapes. And yet, ordinary or ideal conditions are not going to accompany any of this. This is why we can't begin to study we can't begin to, to look at the new. Oh, this is the wrong time. 
My oldest grandson, Ethan, is one of these, well, of course, he's my grandson, so he's perfect. So let's just get that out of the way. (laughs) Once again, you've heard me talk about this phenomenon that, you know, we have imperfect children that yield perfect grandchildren for us. I'm not quite sure what happens there, you know, but the, the grandchildren are all perfect. But Ethan is one of these unusual kids that just has remarkable favor on his life. I mean, he can go into a store and if you ever want something, just hang out with Ethan because the free cookies are coming. It's just, it's, it's, it's just crazy to watch. But we were vacationing on the coast of North Carolina this past summer, and I've spent many, many years down there. My grandparents built a cottage down there in the 1930s. My grandfather was a fisherman. My dad fished, and, and before I, I had children, I fished. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> but I know that part of the world. And I learned something about fishing years ago on the coast of North Carolina that fish only will allow themselves to be caught when conditions are the most miserable for human beings. Are you with me? Like November, December, standing in the surf up to your waist, wind howling in your face. You with me? I mean, this is when the fish say, okay, we'll die now. But when the weather is conducive for human beings, fish are saying, nah, not going to happen. Come back in a few months when it's miserable outside. But this was June. And we were staying across the street from the sound. And I mean, there was this little bitty pier out there and maybe, maybe four feet of water. And so we go, do 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 we go over there. We know, you know, it's one of these grandchild fishing moments, you know. You know it's going to last about four minutes. Until they have to bait their own hook or they lose it, one or the other, right? And so we're going out there, and, you know, Eddie is just faithfully, you know, putting the worms on the, on the hooks and what have you. And they go, eh, you know, so he's, so he's out there, and Eddie's, Eddie's catching eels. That's what dads do, right? Dads catch eels, you know? And, so we're, and we're all like, ooh, you know? And Eddie's like, what do I do? I said, you're the dad, man. I'm just watching it. <laughs> you deal with that mess. I'm not going to have nothing to do with it. And so here Ethan takes his $15 rod and reel. Zzz, bam! It's just like, uh, you're hung up. Let me see. you got to be joking. It's June. The fish are asleep. They're hibernating. You have caught a turtle. You've caught something, a crab, whatever. And he's beginning, and it's, no, there's a real live fish on the other end of this thing. And not just a fish, a fish. (laughs) About a four or five pound red drum. I've been fishing down there for decades. I had to look it up. What is this thing? And we're, th- and we're all just so you, we're doing the little fish dance, you know? And just, wow! And of course, Ethan just thinks this is how it works. We haven't been out there five minutes. I don't know what the problem is with you guys. This is what fishing is supposed to be. And we're like, I'm thinking to my, well, you enjoy that. Zzz, bam! Second time! He does it again, third time. (laughs) 
I'm like, you've got to be kidding. I mean, these are fish that you don't catch that time of the year and you don't catch them in four feet of water on a $15 rod and reel. Those early apostles had gone fishing too. They knew what they were doing. Fished all night. Jesus said, you want to catch fish? Put back out and cast on the other side. And they're like, come on, man. We've been doing this all our lives. We know what we're doing. Listen, the sun is up. The fish have gone deep. We were trawling shallow. This is not going to happen. And yet this one little phrase, but because you said so, we're going to do it. And then the catch of their lifetime happens. But the conditions weren't right. Do you understand? These fishermen knew this is not supposed to happen this way. The same way that I knew that my grandson was not supposed to catch fish in that moment. And this is the very moment and the very backdrop that God is setting us up for. Is that whatever you think in your own natural knowledge, this is what has to happen. This is what has to happen in my money. What has to happen in my marriage, with my kids, in my job place. Let me just tell you, God is saying, I'm not interested in all of that. Human bodies that have been entombed for about three days aren't supposed to jump up either. That's why he hung out for a while, waiting to get to Lazarus. So that every natural phenomenon could be violated. So when he showed up, it would be very evident God just did a little something, something here. Because the brother was dead. He were dead because he stinketh. What the Bible says about him. Let me just tell you, God's going to bring an out-of-season fruit bearing to you and me. Jesus walked by that fig tree. He was hungry. And he knew it wasn't the season for figs. He made the tree. He knew. He'd wired that tree to produce one crop of figs a year at a a given time. And it wasn't the moment. And yet Jesus walked up to that tree expecting figs. And you remember the rest of that story. He cursed that tree. You've heard me talk about this passage before, but there was something about the proximity of Jesus that when he walked up to that tree, that tree was supposed to defy its natural wiring in order to produce supernatural fruit. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. God is going to defy everything in your natural to bring forth his fruit out of season in your life. Because of his proximity, of his spirit who now dwells on the inside of you. Ezekiel 47 talks about this. Because there was a river that 
runs from the throne of God and it went to this set of trees. And it says that these trees, because they were planted by this river, what did they do? It said they produced fruit 12 months of the year. There's not a tree on the planet that naturally produces fruit 12 months of the year. But these trees did. Why? Because of the supernatural river of God that flowed to them. And let me tell you, my Bible and your Bible says that out of your bellies shall flow that same river of living water. And God's going to produce an out-of-season crop in your life and my life. Let me give you another hallmark of the season. We're going to see, I believe, young men and women begin to come into places of influence authority and government at a more rapid pace than ever before. Now, before us old folks roll our eyes and say, here it goes, here, here it comes again. These young, these young people, generational transfer, I knew it. Ah, those, all of those every nation churches, they're just about the young folk. Nothing here for us geezers to do, but just get out of the way, make a spot. Hang on. We're going to see young folks come up quicker, out of season. It's going to frustrate us. I'm discipling some young men and women right now, and I look at their character and their anointing and their giftedness. And I have to, and as much as it's thrilling, I have to check my own heart and say, dang. (laughs) Seriously? Come on, J.C.? I mean, these guys, they know stuff I hadn't even thought about knowing at that age. I was still trying, never mind what I was still trying to figure out at that age. (laughs) But I believe that as we see these young men and women come into their place faster, I believe that there is going to become a new demand on the anointing of the older generation as well. The Abrahams and the Sarahs and the Zechariahs and the Elizabeths. Psalm 92 says they will still bear fruit in old age. Come on, boomer. (laughs) And I got to tell you, just real candidly, everything in me wants to slow down. Some men that I walk very closely with. Last year I said, you know, I'm really wondering if I just need to go ahead and just toss the keys at this thing. I've got, I've got young men and women. They know what they're doing. You know, I'm, 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 I'm feeling uniquely just tired. My wife says, wait, if you get up and exercise a little bit. No, just <laughs> give, it, give it a rest just a second here. <laughs> but it was not just that kind of tired. But you know that kind of tired in your soul where it's just like, I've been doing this a long time. I mean, I'm sitting in this room right now. I've been in this room for 17 years. Grace Covenant Church moved into this room as this school opened in 2003. 17 years in this room. I love this room. But I just wondered, 
Am I done? Am I finished? And I begin to think, well, you know, I'm at those, you know, those magic numbers, you know, 62, 66, 70. You know, the world is saying, you know, maybe it's time that you begin to make some. And the Holy Spirit came to me and he said, son, it's not for you to ever put it down, only pick it up. And the best way I know how to do it is my loving father came and rebuked me. He said, this is not a thought for you to have. So you've got to put up with me for a while longer. Okay, boomer. But the way that these generations work together is going to have to become even more defined. I want you to hear this. We find this odd little passage of scripture over in 2 Kings 4. Elisha has these discipleship schools known as the School of the Prophets. They're there in a number of geographic locations. And there's one that's spoken of in this passage in 2 Kings 4.38 at Gilgal. And as is the backdrop for many of these passages, there was a famine in the land. And you know what's a famine? When they're making soup. Just to let you know, I don't consider soup food. Soup is a beverage. If you can get it through a straw, it's a beverage. Even the chunky parts. Just telling you. And there are people that say, I like soup. Something wrong with that. Because soup is not food. It's a chunky beverage. So you know it's a famine. So they got a big pot and they're trying to figure out what to put in this big pot. And one young prophet, it says, he went out and he found a wild vine. Now, I went out and did some research on this. And in this part of the world at that time, there were, as grandma used to call, a pumpkin or squash looking thing. And there were two varieties of this particular vine and squash. One was edible. The other one was highly toxic. My wife and I live up in the Shenandoah Valley. On our property, there are mushrooms. And people say, now we understand Pastor Jim a lot better. (laughs) But we had some folk working up there, and they were gathering mushrooms. They were like, oh, yeah, these are very expensive. These are like $300 a pound. And my wife was just like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. It's time for us to go get our mushrooms. And so, but see, the problem is there are some mushrooms that you can eat, and there's some other mushrooms that what? Yeah, you don't eat them. Well, we don't know the difference. Well, neither did this young prophet. And so he just comes, he just, you know, he just dumps it in the pot. And they begin to eat. And the next thing you know, this neurotoxin, their lips begin to get numb. And they're like, hmm, Tabas- too much Tabasco. <laughs> that must be that new Old Bay hot sauce they're talking about because I can't feel my lips anymore. Then, then their tongue begins to, to swell up. And, they, and they're like, wait a minute. This is not, this is not hot sauce. There's death in the pot. They begin to, and the young prophet's just like. (laughs) And they all realize that as this toxin begins to take on its natural course, they're all about to die. Except for the old guy that was there. Elisha. 
He wasn't even really an old guy, probably in his 30s at this time. But he happened to be standing there, and, and he knew exactly what to do. Go get me some flour. And he throws flour in there. He says, now it's safe to eat. I've done some reading. Well, you know, flour is an emulsifier, and it drove all the toxins to it. And no, it was the presence of that generation. It was the wisdom, the discernment, and the faith to know exactly what to do in that moment. That young prophet had done exactly what young prophets do. He had gone out and he was proactive. I'm going to make this better. But in doing it, he threw something in the pot that poisoned the whole thing. But the presence of Elisha stopped the normal course of the damage. This is where we need to see both generations. Not one generation just stepping off and say, bye boys, see ya. But we need to be right there encouraging. Are you with me? And that younger generation looking around, is this safe to eat? I'm not quite sure. This looks a lot like this. Which one should I dump in the pot? How these generations work together. Second, seeking, seeing, and submitting to the Spirit. Whoever watches, Whoever's looking at the natural phenomena, they're going to miss what God is doing. We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We really do in churches like ours. I was raised a heathen Episcopalian. We talked a lot about the Holy Ghost. Some of you may have come out of other traditions where it was the Holy Ghost. But we're more uptown now. We say the Holy Spirit. the paraclete and we talk a lot about being led by the spirit about hearing God's voice let me tell you God's getting ready to take us very seriously about whether or not we just treat him as a 911 first responder or whether or not he truly is the GPS in our lives There's a story over also in 2 Kings, the third chapter. Three kings come together in alliance. Only one of those three kings is a righteous king, king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. And they've come together to go and try to collect some taxes. Militarily and strategically, they decide to cut through the desert. The only challenge was whether or not they were going to run out of resources, primarily water, in making this move. And that's exactly what happened. So here's an entire army, livestock, in the midst of the desert, no water, they're dying. And at this moment, these three kings decide, is there no prophet of the Lord of which we can inquire? Jehoshaphat says, I got a guy. Because of the relationship that Elisha had with this righteous king, he shows up and he gives him a word. And he said, this valley will be full of water. Make it full of ditches. And by the way, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. But you, your soldiers, and your livestock will have plenty to drink. But you will see neither wind nor rain. Now, in this part of the world, you could always tell 
that it was getting ready to rain because one, the temperature would drop. You could see the clouds coming from afar and the wind would kick up. So there was always natural phenomena that preceded rainfall. And yet right here, the prophet is prophesying, you are not going to get any sort of natural encouragement in this moment. But what I want you to do is make preparation even where there's no encouragement. Make this valley full of ditches. Where have you stopped digging? What promise in your life did you stop digging in? Because you haven't had the natural encouragement. You haven't seen it in your bank accounts. You haven't seen it in that recalcitrant child yet. You haven't seen it manifested in your body. And you just said, it ain't happening. I ain't digging. Let me tell you, it's time for you to dig it. And just because you don't see it here. Just because it's not in your historical database of how you've seen God move in the past. God says, I'm going to make your valley full of water. And by the way, it's an easy thing. And then he goes on and he says this other, just adds, cut it in. And by the way, I'm going to turn Moab over to you at the same time. In other words, I'm going to defeat your enemies. All you got to do is show up. But what you've got to do, you've got to move beyond natural sight. You've got to move beyond what you think you know. You've got to move beyond maybe what you've experienced in the past. And you've got to follow me. You've got to follow me. Let me tell you, God's going to take us very, very seriously about this. As to whether or not we're truly going to be men and women of the Spirit. And listen to me, saints. One of the core values that we hold to is lordship. I want to submit something to you this morning. Lordship is not possible without the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. I just want to tell you, no matter how much you want to, you can't. Say, well, I'll show him. I'll read my Bible in February. It'll last about a day. I hate to tell you. Listen, if the Apostle Paul spent as much real estate as he did in Romans, talking about everything that he couldn't do, everything in his flesh that was opposed to that which God was asking him to do, let me just tell you, you and I got a problem too. You look at this New Testament real carefully. You look at Pauline writing. And what you hear is a man that recognizes, I can't do this. I never could, and I'm never going to be able to. Yet, Christ in me, the hope of glory. There it is right there. And what does that look like? It's allowing the Holy Spirit to have expression over our thinking, have expression, over our, over our emotions, over our actions. Wow. Galatians 5 says, live by the Spirit. And it says, you will not, what? Gratify the desire of the sin nature. 
It goes on in the same passage. And it says, since we live by the Spirit, what? Let's keep in step with the Spirit. And then not becoming conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Let me just tell you. When you understand everything you're not and everything that God is, you're not going to be conceited. There's not going to be any place in you that says, I'm the man. Oh, yeah, I walked away from those donuts. Well, at least the first time. No, 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 no. Because there's going to be no glorying in the flesh when we allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit through our lives. My last point in closing. Sow your seed in the morning. Sow your seed. You know, sadly, when we hear that word, sowing your seed, in the church has been worked so much, it's become a euphemism for an offering, hasn't it? It's like, okay, sowing the seed, he's going to take an offering, let me get my... No, 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 we're not taking an offering. But we find over in Genesis 26, we find a man named Isaac. Once again, the backdrop of a famine. And he's thinking, well, surely it's time for me to leave. But God appeared to Isaac, it says in Genesis 26, and says, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you, stay in this land for a while, and I will do two things. I will be with you, and I will bless you. Now, we're in famine. It's time to go. And how many times in our life do we get in a place where it seems like that the ravens aren't bringing food anymore, the brook brook is drying up, and we say, well, that's my cue. I'm gone, baby. But many times, God will say, I want you to stay where you are. I want you to stay in that marriage. I want you to stay in that workplace. I want you to stay in that church. I want you to stay right where you are. Because I'm going to bless you and be with you uniquely in that place. And it says in that same year, it said, Isaac, what does it say? Planted crops. Now, can you imagine going down to the seed store? Do de do de do. What you need there, Isaac? Um, I'm going to plant some crops. Right. Did your daddy not tell you anything about that you needed water to make crops? Have you looked around recently? You see all that dust behind your camel there, son? There ain't nothing for you out there. It's all right. I need seed. So Isaac being belittled by all of his neighbors, all of his agricultural experts, the dudes at the seed store, he goes out there and he sows a crop. Why? Because God said, do it. And I know it doesn't look right. The same way they made fun of Noah building a boat. Didn't see anything that even looked like a flood. You just build it. And Isaac says he sowed that year. And he says he reaped a hundredfold because of his great obedience. No, because the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've been around the church long enough. I've heard that passage preached in more offering messages as some kind of a biblical apologetic for wealth creation and management. Could I submit to you, I believe that is the side story, not the story. I believe the real story here is a man that was willing to not look in the natural, look in the spirit, hear from God, obey accordingly, and watch God do the rest. Are we sowing to the spirit, sowing to the flesh? Galatians 6 talks about whoever sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap, whoever sows to the spirit from the spirit will reap. Now, we know that that passage is speaking specifically about sin. But can I submit to you that I think that even one thing God is going to do for you and me is begin to even raise the bar of what sin is. Let me tell you, if you begin to operate in the bar of what the world calls sin, you're in trouble. That's a sinking ship. But do you realize that sowing to the Spirit means I can't sow to me. I can't sow to my comfort, my convenience, my timing, my understanding. I'm going to have to take everything I have and sow it back to God first. Which means God's going to take all that other stuff and say, son, it doesn't matter. And maybe much of what we do in our life, we're not sowing specifically to what we would identify as sin, but we are sowing to self. We're sowing to our convenience. We're sowing to our comfort. And God says, son, if you'll sow to the Spirit, you can reap from the Spirit. I don't even know what that means fully. I sure would like to find out. Wow. Hosea 10 says to sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Beautiful passage. What have we said? There's an out-of-season anointing that's coming. It's not what you see with your eyes. Observe. It's not what they say. It's what he's saying. Whose report will you believe? And there's an out-of-season anointing that is not going to make any sense. Some things are not going to make any sense in your calendar, your trajectory, what you thought your life might look like. My wife and I were marveling, just, just, just chatting in the last couple of days. Did you ever have any idea that this is what we would be doing? I said, I still can't believe this is what we're doing. An out-of-season anointing. Secondly, a fresh seeking, submitting, seeing what the Spirit is doing. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Not just using, we're a Spirit-filled folk. Let me just tell you, it's not a term of endearment. It's not an ecclesiastical identifier. There should be the fruit of that spirit that's coming forth out of our lives that identifies us. And lastly, sowing. Saints, this is not a time to hoard. You know, when we get scared, you know what we do? We store and we hoard. My wife and I were pastoring a church in 1999. Of course, that's when the world was supposed to come to an end. 
Most of you don't remember that. Some of you do. And we had some folks in our congregation, they went nuts. Buying water, propane, spam, <laughs> Twinkies. They were ready for the zombie apocalypse or planes to fall out of the sky or whatever it might. And we got up on January 1st, 2000. The stoplights are all work. No planes have fallen out of the sky. People were eating spam for the next five years. <laughs> but they were hoarding on the basis of fear, not on faith. Are you hearing me here? And I can't sit here and promise you that they're not going to be some more fearful things that are going to come into our culture. But God says, I want you to sow. I want you to sow. Even when they say it's a famine, you sow. You watch. I'm going to be God. Pray with me. Lord, let us hear well. A lot of words this morning, a lot of words this weekend. But God, I'm praying that by your spirit, you would drive something home to us. God, as individuals, in our families, some of us have children and we look at their ages and we say, are they ever going to get it? They seem to be so out of season for truth to finally hit them. Yes, they're going to come in season in this season. God, let us be men and women of the Spirit like never before spiritual not using that word as some kind of term, term, term of endearment but the reality that we are indeed a spirit filled spirit led people bearing fruit manifesting your spirit resident inside of us and Lord let us sow oh God let us not hold back and God whether it's time, treasure, talent, even the emotions by which we do all of those things. God, let us not withhold. God, the same way that you sowed the best in your son, you didn't send an angel. You didn't do it by divine decree. But you set the bar by sowing the best that you had in Jesus into the earth and into our lives. God, let us be continually both humbled and inspired by your sowing that we might sow accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Bless you, church.